Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. Well, today I want to talk to you about a message that is really on my heart. Last time I preached in our church two weeks ago, uh, I preached a message called What's So Special About This House? And man, if you haven't watched it, I pray that you get on YouTube or get on our podcast, go for a walk, watch it on, listen to it on the podcast or sit in your lounge with a great coffee, watch it on YouTube. Hey, come on, man, we got some extra time on our hands right now in New Zealand, so let's use it well. But the truth is that I believe with all my heart that the church is the most important thing in this world. The local church, God's house, it's the only eternal thing in this world. The church is the only thing that goes straight to heaven. Nothing else does. Everything else you amass, every, every memory you have, the trips that you traveled, the cars you love to drive, the houses you built, the equity you've established, everything, nothing. The reputation you've garnished in your life, nothing goes with you into heaven other than the church. The church not being the buildings. The buildings are never the goal for us. Our purpose at Arise has never been to have buildings for the sake of buildings. We're not aiming to have equity. We're aiming to have the buildings because the buildings are a material seed that leads to a spiritual harvest. We need the buildings so that we can win a lost generation to Jesus. And that generation goes straight to heaven. That's why the church is so powerful and so important. What's so special about this house? This week, I wanna talk to you about this theme. There is opposition to this house. The church is the hope of the world. But there is opposition to this house. Jesus boldly declared, he said, I will build my church and the gates or the powers of hell will not conquer it. That means for you and I that it should be to us of little or no surprise that when we start to build the church, that the powers of hell begin to try and come against the church. Because Jesus said, I'm going to build it. And he wanted us to, in that same statement, be aware, hell's going to try and stop it. And the Scripture tells us that we should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. So I want you to know today that it should be of zero surprise to us that there is opposition to this house. Jesus is wanting to build it, and hell is wanting to stop it. Now let's pause before we get negative or think for a moment that we're trying to amplify the devil in this message. Let's get it clear that Jesus declared hell won't stop it. Hell cannot overcome it. Jesus is greater than the devil. Jesus is greater than every demon in hell. Jesus is greater than anything coming against you today. And if you believe that, type a caps lock amen in your chat. But the truth is, hell is going to oppose it. It should be of little surprise to us that the devil is trying to stop the building of God's house. And the Bible says you shouldn't be ignorant about that. You shouldn't be unaware that there is going to be opposition to this house. And one of the clearest ways in the Bible that we see the opposition to building God's house is in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. What I love about Nehemiah is that Jerusalem had laid in ruins for 140 years. And along comes a leader by the name of Nehemiah. And he said, come let us rebuild these walls and reestablish the city. And what had been lying in ruins for 140 years, he rebuilt in 52 days. 
That reminds me that the greatest danger that we have as the church is that we could look at dilapidated environments or see decrease or see lack or see deficiency or see where things aren't going the way that they should and we should ascribe, we could ascribe little value to these environments not knowing that if the church in any form, fashion, town, environment or expression is in any state of ruin, it's still God's house. And Jesus said, I will build my house. And when we begin to rise with a passion to build God's house, we can do in unprecedented periods of time what others never dreamed imaginable. I'm preaching right now because I believe that there is somebody who has ascribed little, somebody has fallen into the temptation of saying that the church is for a previous era. Somebody has said that the church is no longer valid. Somebody has said that the tide is going out. And I want you to know that we're not the tide going out church. We are the Nehemiah church. We're the church saying, let us rise. We're the church saying, let us go together. We're the church saying, let's believe for the greatest days of the church in the history of the world. You know what we saw in the face of COVID? We'd had 12,000 people attend our Easter services before COVID. During the COVID lockdown, 72,000 people tuned in to our Easter service. I say that to say this, when everything around you begins to shake, that's when the church stands and shines the brightest. Come on, that's when the church looks good. Because the church is unshakable. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible talks to us about Nehemiah, and we're going to dive into it. And I want to talk to you about five ways that the devil tries to oppose the church today. But in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible says that Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Jerusalem. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Now, whenever you hear Jerusalem, hear God's city, God's church. It speaks to us as a New Testament believer of the church. And this is what they, verse three, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed with fire. And the Bible says about Nehemiah that when he heard it, he sat down and he wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Church, friends, no matter where you are on the earth, if things aren't going well for the church, it should move you. We never delight hearing any story about the church not going well. And we should never be unemotional about the state of God's house. The church is Christ's body through which He speaks and acts. The Christians who are flippant about the church are sort of like going to heaven but working against the team that's trying to get people to go to heaven. I'm the first to admit that the church is not perfect. But I'm not here to be part of the problem. I'm here to be part of the answer. We should be emotional when the church is not strong. We should be vibrant, engaged, energized, emotive and passionate about the health of God's church. 
Because it is Christ's body through which he speaks and acts. And Nehemiah, moved by the state of the church, literally then goes on a journey of changing the entire trajectory of his life. He's been a cupbearer to the king. That's basically saying he was an advisor to the most influential man in the world. And he left all of that to go back and build the church. Friends, when you become passionate about the church, it realigns your priorities. When you become passionate about the church, it exposes what is of real value. It's only when you become set on fire for God and discover the power of His church that you truly begin to align your life's priorities with what really matters. If the church is a dim thing in your life, you need a spiritual awakening. And so the Bible then tells us that Nehemiah went back and he began to build God's house. We're going to jump straight to the opposition that he began to experience. In Nehemiah chapter 4, we see the first of five oppositions that Nehemiah faced. He goes back to Jerusalem. He surveys the walls. He rallies God's people. He begins to build. And the moment that they began to build, they begin to face opposition. We are attempting here in Arise to build a church that is literally going to achieve something maybe never done in the history of a nation. We're building a church of influence for the nation of New Zealand and beyond it. We are literally believing that we're going to build a church that is going to change the trend of Christianity in a nation. Not solely with every other church, we're just part of it, but we are putting our hand up saying, if this is our church, then we want it to do the unimaginable. We want it to change the history books. And if we're going to do that, we should expect that along the way, we're going to face some opposition. So here's the first one. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Samballot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what did this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can just rebuild the wall in a single day by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from, from a rubbish heap, charred ones at that? And what I love about this is that here is a guy saying these are nobodies from nowhere, feeble Jews without any great asset registered next to their name without any high level of education, without anybody who would say they're the best thing since sliced bread. And those people have got a dream in their heart that they can rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And what I love about it is that they are the people who did it. God takes the small things and makes the big things seem like nothing. He takes the weak to confound the wise, the simple to level the, the fool. And my friend, I believe with all my heart that God can use you and me to build His church and to do something in our generation. But you notice what they attempted to do? They attempted to mock it. In order to stop them from building God's house, they mocked the concept of it. They're like, oh man, what is these Jews? And what is this thing called the church? And still today, a way that people are gonna try and oppose the building of God's church is to mock the people who are trying. They're gonna belittle your involvement in the church. People are gonna say to you, why would you invest your resources and your time in the church? You don't need the church. 
What's that all about? People mock the church, but I want you to understand it's not primarily people that are mocking the church. It's the devil trying to prevent the building of the church. This is what he said, Nehemiah said in verse four. He said, then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. He said, man, I recognize this is an attack of the devil. It's not their opinion that I'm listening to. It's the fact that they are trying to stop me that I am aware of. And church, that's what we need. We need to be aware that the mockery against the church is to stop us from building it. I gotta keep moving. Let's go to number two, Nehemiah chapter six. And we're gonna start reading in verse one. The Bible says, Samballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had yet to set up the doors in the gates. So Samballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending them this message. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Man, I love this. They couldn't stop him by mocking him. So now they try to stop him by distracting him. If you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll discover that these are two of the greatest influences of Nehemiah's generation. And they send him a message saying, come and meet with us. We live in a world of influences, and what they, what they were saying was, come and give your attention to us. But what Nehemiah realized is that they were trying to distract him from what he was actually doing. The second way that the devil is going to try and stop you and I from building God's house is through distraction. He's going to come at you and me, and he's going to try and distract us. Highlight other things, get us to move away, get us to stop leaning into building God's house. What Jesus wants for you in your life is a resilient focus on the things of eternity. What God wants for you in your life is realizing the difference between what is wood, hay, and stubble and what is gold, silver, and precious stones. Gold, silver, and precious stones, by the way, in the Bible have one name, people, people, and people. That's the church, people, people, people. And God doesn't want you devoting your life away from gold, silver and precious stones to wood, hay and stubble. My next trip, my next thing, my, my, my investments, these need a margin of our time, but they are not what we devote our lives to. We use what we have to influence the world. Jesus wants us to use what we have to reach people with the gospel. But what the devil does is he tries to distract us. The devil's trying to distract you, my friend. He's trying to stop you from being laser-like in your focus on making your life count for the things of heaven. When Jesus was on this planet, he faced this as well. A guy comes up to Jesus and says, I'd like to follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. I wanna go and bury my father. Let the dead bury their own dead. He's not being harsh. He's trying to highlight for a man in that moment. We have funerals in our church, but I want to give you the context. Jesus was helping this guy to realize that there are things in his life that could distract him from the purpose God had for him. Another guy said, let me go and say goodbye to my mother and father. And Jesus said, anyone who puts his shoulder to the plow and looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
Huge. He's saying we cannot be distracted. The church counts. And Nehemiah said, I'm not going to meet with you. I don't care if you have 50,000 Instagram followers. I don't care if you have a million. I don't care if you've got a number one song on the charts. You can call yourself an influencer. But what I'm doing in building God's house is not something that I can allow myself to be distracted from just because you think you're an important person. Number three, the third one happens in Nehemiah chapter six. Again, in verse four, the Bible says, four times they sent the message. Each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Samballat's servant came with an open letter. This is an Instagram post. This is a Facebook feed. This is a tweet, people. This is a TikTok video. People with my coordination should just stay away from TikTok. My daughter is like, no, not for you, never. <laughs> I was really hurt. And this is what it said. There's a rumor, and he begins to basically just give a whole lot of lies that they're gonna rebel against the king, they're gonna do their own thing. See, here's the thing. What they tried to do now was they tried to intimidate. Before this, it's been a mockery, and it's been a distraction. Now, they're going into the public arena to try and say, this is what you're actually trying to do. They maligned his motives. They changed what he was actually attempting to do. I've faced this. As a builder of the church, I have had people go onto social media platforms trying to malign or distort what we're actually trying to do in the church. Say that we're trying to achieve this, we're trying to achieve that. No, we're trying to help people to discover a relationship with Jesus. We believe that the church is the hope of the world. And you can say what you want, but at the end of the day, Nehemiah didn't give way to intimidation and we won't be intimidated. But we need to remember, friends, that there is a devil. You need to understand that the devil can't ever defeat you. Jesus has already won but he works through fear. The devil tries to get you to imagine an outcome that God has said will never take place. He's trying to get you overwhelmed by a scenario that will never come to fruition. And what the devil tries to do is to bring intimidation in your way. I'm preaching to people right now that are feeling the intimidation of being a vibrant witness for Christ. And I'm here to tell you that that is only a testament that your life is full of potential, that what you're doing can change the world, and hell is getting afraid, and so the devil is trying to prevent you from rising to be the man and the woman that God wants you to be. There is intimidation coming against the church. I wanna be honest about that. There is, I wanted to tell everybody listening to this today, there is intimidation coming against the church. Why? Because the devil has a plan to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we are the ones standing in his way. We're not gonna let teenagers take their own lives because they don't feel they have a purpose. We're not gonna witness marriages dissolved because nobody's giving them the love of Jesus that they need to be the third cord that keeps those marriages together. We're unashamedly saying that we want people to know an open, honest relationship with God because eternity hangs in the balance. And we will never be intimidated by the forces that would come against us. Our fourth one is fear. I'm going to have to give you the reference. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. But you can see how they came and they said, someone's trying to kill you. And if the devil can't intimidate you, he's going to elevate it all the way to literally this is what's going to happen to you. Fear. Fear. 
But then the fifth one is what we need to get to, and it's in Nehemiah chapter 13. And the fifth one is found literally when Nehemiah comes back from a trip where he's been away for a season of time. He comes back, and in verse 4 of Nehemiah 13, this is what we discover. Elisha, the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor over the storerooms of the temple of our God, and it was also a relative of Tobiah. Tobiah is the leader of the people opposing the church. So the high priest is a relative of Tobiah. And the Bible says that the high priest had converted a large storage room. You could equally translate that storehouse and placed it into Tobiah's, at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, the various articles for the temple, the tithes, the new wine, the olive oil, that's the anointing, as well as the offerings for the priests. In other words, the salaries of the church staff. Verse seven, when I arrived back and I learned about Eliashib's evil deed and providing to buy with a room in the courtyards of the temple, I became very angry. I threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified and I brought back the articles for the temple, the grain offerings and the incense. And the fifth way that the devil tries to oppose the building of God's house is through lack. It's through lack. If he can't do anything else, his last tentacle was to stop the funding. If you read on in that chapter, what you'll discover is that the sacrifices had stopped. In other words, there was no more worship services, no more preaching. Because Tobiah was in that storeroom, the church staff had to resign and go and get jobs. So they'd left Jerusalem to look after their herds so that they could get a livelihood and they were now no longer having church services. And the fifth way that the devil tries to stop the church is he goes after the resources. You know, one of the things that's amazing is people will get so up in arms about Christians who tithe. I've tithed every day of my life since I was 18 years old from the moment that I said yes to Jesus. And people try to say, well, why would you tithe? I'll tell you why people have a problem with the tithe. Not because they think the church is after their money, but because the God of our age is money. The God of our age is money. What people worship is materialism. And the devil is after the resources. The devil doesn't want your money. What he wants is the ministry. If he can prevent us from giving to God what's rightfully His, then he can stop the ministry. And he hates that. Because if you give to the church, we're going to use that money to reach the world. Someone said to me the other day, how much of our church budget goes into the community? And I said, well, it's obviously a lot. But the truth is that if you look at it a different way, it all goes into the community. The real purpose of Arise is not the few staff that we have, 87 people nationally that, fund, that run this church, running like crazy things to keep up with what God is doing. It's the 10,000 hours of volunteers a month. And that number is growing all the time who are doing everything that the church does. Pre-marriage counseling, post-marriage counseling, teenage mentorship, 
role models for children, blessing single parents, supporting the poor and the needy, helping people get free of the addictions, helping people to get their finances in order, inspiring people to move forward in their lives. We do everything that is above what the government needs to do. That's what the church does. We have social welfare for people who are really in desperate need and we need it. But once you get above that, that's the church. And when we fund the church, we are funding the ability for our world to be a better place. And behind every attack that comes against the church is a plan from the devil to take a generation to hell. We're not gonna preside over the breaking down of our society. The church is not against strong societies. It's the bedrock of them. That's why I wanna stir your heart. Nobody can give in our expansion offering what they don't have and we would never ask you to do it. But if you can be part of this offering next weekend, then I wanna encourage you. There is nothing more noble than to be a funder of God's house. We can make a difference in the world in which we live. Come on, let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for the church. I thank You that You died, Jesus, to birth the church. I thank You that You love Your church. And I pray for every person who's part of this message today, that You would breathe upon them, Holy Spirit, use them. I'm praying, God, that You do mighty things in and through Your church. We pray, bless Your people. I pray for everybody today who's been overwhelmed by intimidation, by fear. Everybody's ever been mocked for making the church a priority in their lives. And God, I pray that you'd help them to see the plan of the enemy, that you'd exalt your people. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at arisechurch and at johncameronnz.